Father, we want to lift up to you our brother Nate. Uh, he's had his share of trials lately, and we had asked that we can be an encouragement to him through prayer and through whatever actions you would call us to participate in. We ask also, Lord, that you would give the doctors wisdom as they looked after Nate's dad, Ted, and pray that you would give Ted peace where he is and uh, calmness, that he would not worry or fret what is taking place. But, Lord, we ask that he would just make a speedy recovery and be able to be back home even today. And, Lord, also, we pray that you would bless your word, that you would go forth and teach us and guide us and help us to remain true to it, that the doctrines that are inside, we pray that we would hold fast as we would hold fast to even life itself, for we know that your word is above all, Psalm 138 says. And we ask, Lord, that we would be able to honor it, by being obedient to your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. You know it would be a really unwise choice? Going to the beach with a dog you named Shark. That would be very unwise to do that. What would be wise? Well, there are several things that would be wise. One of them is going to a men's Bible study or women's Bible study or home fellowship. Why would that be wise? Because you'll grow in your faith. You'll have wisdom to live in a world that is just going astray. And so I want to encourage everyone in here, if you're not going to a Bible study, if you're not going to a men's or a women's or a home fellowship, you simply will not grow as a Christian. Because you don't have a chance to interact. You don't have a chance to dialogue. You don't have a chance to question what's going on. For instance, in the men's study on Thursday, there's actually a belief that I have had that but because we were prompted this week, I gave a homework assignment. I did the homework assignment. Now I have to change what I believe. It's only happened, I don't know, once, twice, And now I I look at that and the guys are going, well, what was it? I can't tell you yet. You have to come to Thursday so I can tell you what belief it is that I have changed on. Now, don't worry. It's not one of the essentials of the Christian faith, but it is something that I, wow, I never saw that scripture. Now I see it. Now I have to change what I think and put it in line with what the scripture is. And that's what we're supposed to do in our lives. And also we, we need to be praying That the world gets in line, if it is all possible through our influence, gets in line with what the Lord teaches. For instance, if you've been watching the news, we know that there are some governors in some states that are passing some laws concerning abortion. Now, no matter what your stand is on abortion, if it can or if it cannot take place, to what degree, what problems are there, it doesn't matter because I think we can all agree that Roe versus Wade was wrong. It took from the states the power to decide and it made it something that was universal across all states. And that's not how the Constitution is set up. And it is being set up for a constitutional fight. Now, whatever you believe about this, there are too many abortions. And we need to make sure we're praying that, Lord, your will be done. We never know how it's going to go when you have a court case, especially with the justices that are there now. And it could turn out worse. There are articles written about that, about turning out worse. And by the way, the vitriol which is out there. I was reading on some blogs and how people are just 
spewing hate and oh they're just so angry and upset and how dare you take away the life of a, a or you take away the life choice of the mother and there was even one fox commentator who wrote something about extremism both sides have have an extreme view and i emailed them and i said since when was it ever extreme to save the life of a baby in a womb and i just sent that you know so we need to be active in our faith we need to reach out and make a difference where we can make a difference and this has to do with knowing our doctrine what is right and what is wrong unlike the pharisees who held to their traditions that we had just covered in chapter 15 and we're going to be picking that up just a little bit by review in chapter 15 we know that jesus returned from the area of tyre and sidon where he healed a canaanite woman's daughter of demon possession then he went back along the sea of galilee and by the way it was about 60 miles one way for him to do this and that's where he walked he walked 60 miles jesus healed great crowds after this around the sea of galilee and there were thousands there certainly over 10,000 we know that in the feeding of the 4,000 jesus had compassion on them and he wanted to feed them and there were seven loaves of bread and a few fish and he multiplied that just like the feeding of the 5,000 and how 12 basketfuls were picked up and here we had seven basketfuls that were picked up for the feeding of the 4,000 and so we know that there were tens of thousands in these two two feedings that were ministered to physically by Jesus. He was able to perform a miracle in such a way to give them actual physical food. And the book of John talks about there are people that were following Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000 that followed him just because he gave them food for no other reason. They didn't necessarily believe in what he was teaching. They just wanted the food. They wanted the bread and the fish. And they figured, well, why do we have to work if we can just get the food from Jesus? And he just supplies this. But they didn't see the connection between the bread that was supplied in the Old Testament with Moses, the manna that was there, and then the bread that he fed them with. And of course, we know the connection there that Jesus is the bread of life. We receive communion. We take of the elements, the bread and the wine, which refers to Jesus's body and his blood. And all of those things are central to the gospel. And that's why he was doing these types of miracles. And of course, I told you last week that there are several interpretations of what this actually means. The 5,000 being fed and the 4,000 being fed. And I told you that five loaves, one commentator said five loaves and 5,000 men refers to the Pentateuch, the five books of the Bible and the 12 basketfuls refers to the 12 tribes. And, you know, it may in fact be the case. But the 4,000 they said was, and the seven loaves that were, the 4,000 that were fed and the seven loaves that were filled with the baskets of the bread refers to the spiritual component completion and perfection of both Jews and Gentiles that were fed by him. It's like, where do you get that from the text? That is not in the text at all. And also, one person said, the use of 4,000 men refers to the world of north, south, west, and east. How do you get the number 4,000 referring to those four directions on a map? Or the use of the numbers 7 and 4 are evidence that the 4,000 were Gentiles. I, I don't know where they get this connection. This is why it is necessary that we understand Scripture, we understand how to interpret Scripture, we don't apply our own interpretation to it, and when we do that, we get in a lot of trouble. 
I remember watching a television program and this guy was on there and he seemed really good. He seemed very erudite. He seemed very knowledgeable. He was just a guy that you would want to listen to to get information. And all of a sudden, it was like the needle of a record going right across and he goes, hell is not forever. And I said, excuse me? What does it say in Matthew chapter 25, 46 and Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 that eternal life and eternal punishment, that's what the word says. But we want to take it to mean what we want it to mean. And so when we go to scripture, we want to find out what it says. We want to make sure we're digging into the syntax and the context of what's going on and the culture that was taking place at that time. And then in the context of scripture, we take all of these things and actually the words Look up the words and what they mean and what they meant to those people at the time it was written and what the whole message was to mean to those people at the time it was written, not for us. And if we do that, then we can apply it properly to ourselves. So what does this mean, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000? I think it's simple. You guys, I mentioned this before, Occam's Razor, the simplest explanation is probably the right explanation. Jesus simply took care of the physical needs not once, and he took care of the spiritual needs. He did both. Jesus was and is a man of compassion because in both cases, it said he had compassion on these people. He wanted to feed them. What did he feed them? Food. What did he also give them? He gave them healing and he gave them spiritual insight. He was simply ministering to them. So for us, the application is somebody needs food, Give them food. Now, I've already talked about the homeless thing. You know what I'm talking about in context. Somebody needs something, we're there to help. Somebody needs to be prayed for, we're there to help. That's how we're supposed to operate as Christians. Now, going into Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and by the way, there were groups, sects of people in Israel at the time of Jesus. There were the Sadducees, there were the Pharisees, there were the Herodians and the publicans, not republicans, but publicans who were there during the time of Jesus. And the Sadducees, they were more liberal or progressive in their beliefs, and the Pharisees were legalist. They would hold to every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law and make sure everything was carried out to the nth degree and they would even add commandments and traditions upon that. And the Sadducees, well, they were a little more liberal. The Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in miracles. And the Sadducees were perfect humanists. They didn't believe in any supernatural, anything supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in angels. And so these two groups are pitted against each other, and both of them are Jews. One wanted to be just extremely devout in their practice, and the other one just really wanted to maintain power is what they wanted to do. And, of course, we saw that Jesus was crucified because the Sadducees and the Pharisees both wanted to hold on to the power. And so you have these groups also known as the Herodians. The Herodians were a group of Jews that wanted to fall underneath the Roman rule and the Greek style of living. They thought it was just fine, it's all right, and we can go along with the Sadducees and and, uh, bring the sacrifices to the temple, that's okay. And the Pharisees are all right, but they really didn't like each other too much. But we know when they went against Jesus, the Herodians lined up with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees lined up with the Sadducees, and they all lined up with Pilate, and they said, let's get rid of this guy. And so they became friends at that point. 
enemies became friends just because they wanted to kill the Son of God. The publicans were just the tax collectors. Remember Zacchaeus and Matthew? They would have been part of that group. And they were hated and despised by the Jews of the day. They basically had no friends except when they threw a big banquet or something. People would say, sure, I'll take what you got. And they wanted to be friends because of what they could get from the publicans or the tax collectors which were there. And these Pharisees and these Sadducees, Paul was able, and I mentioned this last week, Paul was able to make an argument for the resurrection or he got a chance to talk about it and he had the Pharisees and the Sadducees pitted against each other when he was basically being brought forth almost in a trial setting and this is what he says in Acts chapter 23 verses 6 through 9 when Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees called out in the Sanhedrin my brothers I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead now those are fighting words for the Pharisees which believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees go oh he doesn't know what he's talking about When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And so they were just yelling. I I don't know if you've ever had some Jewish friends and they get in an argument. Oh, man, it is just, they're raising their voice. It's almost like you're in Boston. You ever been in Boston and how they talk in Boston? Some of the guys, the old guys, I remember going through there once on a bicycle, and we asked for direction. And when I asked for direction from them, they started yelling, but they were just talking normal. And I thought, whoa, okay, this is a little culture shock for me. And there was about six of them on a bench. And it was kind of unusual. Well, the Jews would be the same way. They were passionate people. They were also stiff-necked people. They wouldn't change their mind for anything, even if the evidence was presented to them. And so Paul takes advantage of that. When he's brought up on trial, he gets them going after each other. And he probably just goes, okay, job done. And he sat down and watched them just go at it. So these people just kind of hated each other until it came to the crucifixion of Jesus. So verse 1 of chapter 16 It says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time that we have this saying that has been carried down to today. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. And so they could discern the signs of the weather, but they could not discern the signs that had been given to them by God himself. You know, Jesus did several miracles, and all of those would have been signs, every one of them. Uh, We know that from the last chapter in the feeding of the 4,000 before he got there, The people were amazed or they were awestruck because the blind saw the crippled were made whole and the lame were walking. If we saw somebody go into one of the hospitals, Grossmont or Sharp Hospital, whatever it is, 
And they went through there and they just started touching people and they ended up getting out of their beds and walking into the hallways. It would be worldwide news. It would be something that would just dumbfound us. All kinds of explanations other than miracles would come up. We don't know what it is. And then everybody would want to get into those hospitals or whatever hospital that miracle or those miracles would have taken place in. But they would probably not focus so much on the person if they couldn't really find out who the person was. They would, they would say all these other things contributed to it. And they would do an investigation and say, well, what did you give them to help them? What kind of medications were they on? And what kind of care did the RNs give them? They would search for all kinds of explanations rather than just listening to the individual who had provided the miracles. Simeon, if you remember, at the birth of Jesus, he said that Jesus himself was a sign. In Luke chapter 2, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for your glory to your people Israel, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts and the hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Jesus himself was a sign. Remember, he is God in human form. And most Christians, when they become Christians, they may not understand that. They may not understand that for months or for years. The God that created everything that we know in the universe, that is Jesus Christ. We know Colossians says that he created everything. And we know that God didn't create Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 9.5, for theirs are the patriarchs, referring to the Jews, from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever, praised, amen. There are a half a dozen scriptures that say that he is God in human form. So we worship a man who is God. That's who we worship. Or we worship God who became a man. And there is only one who is worthy of that. And of course, that's the God great I am, the one that Moses saw in the burning bush. And he even said those I am statements in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he was referring to the I am of the burning bush. Now verse 4 says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So they said, Show us something. Give us a miracle. Do a trick for us. We want to know that you are the one. Had they not seen all the miracles? How many people got healed at the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000? Probably thousands got healed. Do you think the Pharisees and the Sadducees were there or their emissaries were there? Of course they were. They were watching everything that took place. Remember when Lazarus raised from the dead? Well, we got to do something about this. They knew that he had been raised from the dead. And they wanted another sign. They didn't want a sign so that they might believe. They just wanted to see him do some trick. And even if he did some miracle, something fanciful, something wonderful, they still would not have believed. They just wanted to see it. And, you know, that 
can be our problem too. We want signs. Lord, just let me know. Let me know. Should I go this way or should I go that way? Should I do this? Should I take that job? Just give me a sign. Now, for those who are weak, and by the way, I have done this, I ask the Lord for a sign. Lord, show me. How about you do this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something out there, a fleece, and I want you to answer it. Would you please answer it? I, I'm just asking humbly. I just want to know your will. And, of course, I, I think that as we get older, we just start laying back and go, Hey, whatever the Lord wants, it's just fine. I don't need to know what his plan is. He'll make it happen as long as I'm submitted to him. And I've done that in the past. And I'm not saying that it's, quote, unquote, wrong, but it's this move towards maturity. As the doors open, you walk through them. If the doors are shut, well... They're shut. Sometimes we make mistakes, too. I, I don't know if you guys remember the cartoonist Larson. You remember that guy? I remember standing in a Hallmark store once and looking at his rack of cards that he had there. And there is this one. I think it was there was a sign on it. And it said, Midvale School for the Gifted. And there's a young man, and he is pushing on the door as hard as he can with his books in the hands, trying to get through. And on the door, it clearly says, pull. And, you know, it's, it's like we're doing it wrong. We're, we're trying to follow the Lord, and we, we want something to happen to it. And there's a sign right there that says, pull. It's evident. And I'm not quite sure. Kind of like Gideon. You know, Gideon wasn't quite sure. He put the fleece out there and he said, Lord, I want the fleece to just be wringing wet if this is your will. And God granted that to him because he was weak in his faith and it's all right. He did that and then he prayed for the opposite. Lord, I want the fleece to be completely dry and the ground just sopping wet all the way around with the dew. And so God met him in that. But as we grow older and, you know, at times my faith is weak. Like, what do you want, Lord? And I'll put those fleeces out there, but it's this idea of not wanting a sign and just trusting God. And that is so hard for us. We even have the state. You guys have heard it. The show me state. Show me. And then I'll believe. We want a sign. We want something that will help us. There's movements in churches that are taking place, and they always have been where they want the miracles to happen in order to buttress their faith. And they go to church strictly for the signs or the events. Remember I told you about the four things that churches use to guide themselves? The first one is scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And some people just get stuck in the experience. They go for the experience They don't go to find out who Jesus is by studying the word. They go because they want to feel something. Are there times in your walk that you're thinking, I don't feel the Lord? Well, are there times where if you're married, you don't feel like you're in love? Imagine that. Have you ever been angry at your spouse? No, not you guys. You're Christians. You know what it is to love, right? So you, you don't get angry at them. You just love them with a love that is just enduring and self-sacrificial and all. No, that's a lie. You know, there are times you go, you are the reason for my discontent. 
is what you would say, or that's what you're feeling on the inside. Well, you know, all of that stuff, all these ideas that we'd go for the experience, God says, no, remember the Christian walk, it's, it's hard. You need to study. Remember, don't be unwise and name a dog shark and go to the beach. Be wise and go to a Bible study and find out what the Lord's will is. And by the way, just as a side note, there is a men's retreat coming up. We're going to have flyers coming out for that. And it is going to be with uh, Calvary Chapel Perfect Love and I think La Mesa and Lemon Grove. And there may be some other churches involved, but that is going to be coming up later. And we'll have more information on that. So this idea, people want to sign, you know, even Herod. When Jesus was taken to Herod in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. It's like, oh, come on, Herod. Oh, goody, he's going to do something. No, that's not the purpose of Jesus being here. The reason he did the miracles was to establish the word. That's why he did it. And if there's no need to establish the word, if the word is right there, he can still do a miracle. But that was the main purpose while he was here to show that he had the power over the spiritual world, the demonic world, to show he had the power over the elements and to show he had power over death itself. He was able to rise from the dead and he had other people rise from the dead. And so Jesus said, the only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, Jonah, of course, we know he was disobedient. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, and he didn't. And he got in a boat, and he went to the opposite, in the opposite direction. And God caused a great tempest to come up upon the sea, and all the people in the boat are going, Hey, what, why aren't you praying? What's going on? What, why are we experiencing this? And, of course, Jonah said, Well, it's my fault. And they go, Why? What did you do? And he goes, God wants me to go this direction. I'm going the other direction. That's Bill's version, by the way. That, that's what he happened to say to them. And, and he goes, you know, all you had to do is throw me in the water. Out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they go, okay, you said so according to your word. They threw him in the water. Of course, you know the story. A big fish, not a whale. A big fish swallowed him up. Now, I don't know about you, but how tight do you think it would be in a big fish? you would be like in a cocoon in there. And it's, I think that Jonah probably died inside that fish and God resuscitated him. The fish burped him up on the beach and he went back to Nineveh. And of course he complained the whole way, which Philippians 2.14 tells us, you're not supposed to complain, but he was a complaining prophet. That's what he did. And he had a little castor bean or whatever it was grow up and a worm ate it. And he complained about that because the sun was hot on his head. All he could do is complain and God's grace is moving and the people repented there. And this idea of a sign, well, Jonah, he was in the belly of the fish for three days. And by the way, as a side note, as a parenthetical thought, people argue over this idea, well, Jesus wasn't in the grave three 24-hour days. When you read the scripture, there are things known as Hebraisms. For instance, there, there's a numerical saying, there are three things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are four that are, excuse me, there are six things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are seven that are 
detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill, and a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. That is a numerical saying. There are three, yea, four reasons, or three things that the world cannot bear up under. Yea, there are four. That's a numerical saying. That's a way that they spoke back then. Also, when you'd say three days, it just means it could be a part of each day. It doesn't have to be a 24-hour period, and people misinterpret the scripture, and then they try to make it all fanciful, and they say, well, Jesus was actually crucified on Wednesday to make it Sunday morning that he got up, and or no, it was Thursday, and it's just interpreting the scripture correctly. That's all we need to do, and we'll get the understanding. But this idea of the sign of Jonah, that he died for three days, was resurrected or resuscitated. He wasn't resurrected. That's the sign that was given to them. And regardless of this idea that Jesus was a sign and all the miracles were the sign, the Pharisees and Sadducees would not accept the testimony of Jesus. That's why people perish. They will not accept the testimony. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. I got a call from Buzz. Now, we know Buzz. Buzz is our friend. Buzz is my dive buddy when I go scuba diving. And he called me up and he goes, hey, Bill. And I said, hey, Buzz, how you doing? Of course, he's in another country right now doing some work. And he said, I, I got to tell you about this. I handed out a track today. I said, you did? And he goes, yeah. You know, those little tracks that we have, the good person test that's back there. Are you a good person? And you take the test and you find out at the end of the track, you're not a good person. You need to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I go, well, how did that happen? He goes, it was on the plane. I said, on the plane. He goes, yeah, there was this guy. He, and I think he said he was standing up. You can get him or ask him about all the details, but he said he was standing up in the plane and he was speaking so loud, the whole plane could hear him. And he was dropping expletives, F-bombs is what he was doing, one after the other. And Buzz, if you know Buzz, he's just fit to be tied. He is just, you know, he does, he's sitting in his seat. And finally, he just couldn't handle it anymore. And as this guy, I think he was standing up, he turns to this guy and goes, Hey, buddy, you want to just... Cut it back a little bit because all these people are in here. You know, it's kind of offensive. Are you thinking about other people? And this guy turned back to Buzz and he said, and who are you? Who do you blankety blank, 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 blank think you are? And he just kept on getting louder. And then he, uh, <laughs> he used another word to describe him. So, well, first he said, do you know who I am? And Buzz goes, no. And, and apparently he is some celebrity from MTV. And he goes, you know what else? And uh, somewhere in here, Buzz gives him the track. And, he, and he's still talking at the top of his voice. And he goes, oh, is this about Jesus? Like that in the plane. And, of course, Buzz answers in the affirmative. And he goes, well, you know what I am? And Buzz goes, No. And he goes, I am a, um, let's say he is gay. But he didn't use that word. He used another word to just be abrasive. And Buzz goes, oh. And, of course, the guy just went on a rant. Buzz basically said he lost it in the plane. And I'm surprised they didn't land the plane. 
but anyhow, when uh, Buzz got all done, he told me about it and, and how when he got off the plane, all these people were coming up to him and saying, thank you for saying something to this guy. The, the guy was just obnoxious. You know, he, he was one that was just so prideful he would turn away and he didn't want to receive the track and what it had to say. He was so prideful like the Sadducees and the Pharisees that no matter what you tell me, I'm going to be back in your face and I'm not listening to you. And I told Buzz, I feel sorry for that guy on the day of judgment. I mean, it is not going to go well for him. And of course, it's not going to go well for the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so by this time, Jesus is, you know, he is man, but he is God. And so all the emotions that we experience, he experienced. He experienced everything that we did. And at some point, I think he is getting frustrated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's mulling it over in his mind. He's thinking about it. And, of course, he's God, and he's not sinning when he gets probably angry at them. We can be angry and sin not. And so that's where Jesus is. And when... Verse 5, it says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And Jesus, he's talking, then he, op- or he's not talking, then he opens his mouth. And he says, be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So see, he was in his mind just going over these guys and how wicked they were and prideful. And they wanted a sign and they're a wicked and adulterous generation who seeks after a sign. And so Jesus tells his disciples, Watch out for these guys. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, excuse me, verse 7 says, they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He goes, what? We don't have bread. Oh, that's what he's talking about. No, he's not talking about the bread. Now there is, there's, Two ways, I think there's more than two, but there's at least two ways to bake a bread. You guys know what sheep herders bread is, right? And you, you take a little patch of that dough and you stick it in a, a little baggie. And I know women, they pass that around. I don't know how many guys pass around a baggie full of sheep herders starter. But women do that and then they fix this bread. And the bread is just delicious, but inside is rottenness. It's leaven. Then there's the yeast type, but this is leaven. And Jesus is talking about leaven where you take some of the batch that has rotted, you stick it in the baggie, and you pass the baggie out, or several baggies, and you're able to do that. Anyone in here have a starter right now of sheep herders bread? Anybody have that? Anybody know somebody who does? Probably. And so that, that gets passed around. And Jesus was saying, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And of course, they misinterpreted that. They said, no, it's, it's bread he's talking about. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about what they teach. He goes on to say, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves? For the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered. And see, that's the simple explanation. You think you need bread. Don't you remember what I did with just a loaf of bread? I mean, this is not a problem here. Why are you going down that road? He goes on to say, how is it you don't understand? I was not talking to you about bread. 
But be on your guard against the yeast, and I like leaven better here, leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching or doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, doctrine in Scripture is never trivialized. Doctrine is held up. Our doctrine, if we hold on to correct biblical doctrine, will save not only ourselves, but we will save our hearers as well. That says, that is told us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. It says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Titus 1 verse 9 says, referring to an elder, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refuse those who oppose it. And finally, Titus 2, 1 says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Four times here, we're talking about doctrine, sound doctrine, knowing what God teaches. For instance, knowing that there is a judgment to come, knowing that Christ's return is imminent. Some people say, no, things are going to get better. And when they get better, then Jesus will come back and he'll just take over the kingdom that he has used us to make better here in this life. Where scripture does not talk like that. Scripture tells us things are going to degrade and get worse and worse and worse. That's why I told you before this country, we seem to be winning some battles, some moral battles, so to speak, that the world has taken and said, no, they're political battles and we need to do what is right. Well, eventually we're going to lose. That's what scripture says. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Have you heard about the curriculum that they want to install now in all elementary schools? The sex education curriculum going all the way down to kindergarten, talking about gender fluidity, all the way to kindergartners. If somebody's child is in public school, I'd say you need to yank them out there, out of there as quick as you possibly can. As Christians, we need to stiffen our our position, our shoulders, throw them back, stand up, and be able to speak in a loving manner and just call things out that are wrong and call things out that are right. If we do that, if we watch our life and doctrine closely, because that's what Scripture says, if we do that, things will go well, not only for us, but for the entire country. But sound doctrine, it is important because our faith is based on a specific message. Have you ever heard the the teaching, God is in the center of the wheel and spokes lead to the hub and all those spokes are the different religions and they all lead to God. What did Jesus say about that? I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. His wheel has one spoke and if we don't go along that spoke, he is the gate, he is the door to the sheepfold. You can't crawl over the wall. You can't come in by some other religion. And Jesus claims exclusivity. Of course, all monotheistic religions do. That theirs is the only one who is right. Islam claims that. Judaism claims that. 
But Christianity, Jesus, who was God in human form, said, no, that's it. My way or the hell way is the choice we get. And it's our choice. He gives us the choice. He's not condemning somebody who doesn't want to be condemned. But our faith is based on a specific message. Also, doctrine is important because what we believe affects what we do. Let me ask you, as a believer, if you know doctrine, does it affect how you vote? Does it affect how you raise your children? Uh, I know that there are movements out there. Do not spank your children. What does Proverbs say? If you fail to use the rod on your child, you hate them. And I'm not advocating just beat that kid silly. I'm not talking about that. There is a way to discipline that is right and a way to discipline that just discourages the child and the child thinks they're worthless. And I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about proper discipline where we as parents and grandparents are actively involved in the raising of the kids. So what we believe determines what we do. Sound doctrine is important because we ascertain what is truth and what is falsehood. You know, there there are so many times, and I've heard from the past few messages, people have, um, and I've gotten a, a card or two from people that just say, you know, thank you for clarifying that because I was really unsure what I was supposed to believe and how I was supposed to act. But scripture is clear on how we're supposed to do that in this life. So it affects what we do. And we ascertain what is truth and what is falsehood. It's also important because in the end, sound doctrine is life. It actually shows somebody the way of salvation. If somebody says, there are many roads that lead to God. Remember the movie Ben-Hur? There's a wonderful movie that Charlton Heston, a man's man who was out there and he, he could drive a chariot with four horses. You know, this, this was a great guy, you know, he'd be out there. And Belteshazzar, who showed up when in one scene, Jesus saw Jesus going up. Of course, you could pick him out in the crowd. He, you never saw his face in the movie, but he's in the crowd because he's wearing white. He's up there wearing white and you go, oh, that, that's Jesus up there. I don't think Jesus ever wore white like that to make himself known to everybody. But you could see him, and Belteshazzar comes up to Ben-Hur, and he says, my son, there are many roads that lead to God. And I go, you know, across the rock, and I go, what did he just say in this wonderful movie, Ben-Hur? There are many roads that lead to God? No, there's not many roads that lead to God. But, of course, that's Hollywood. And Charlton Heston, I, I think he's a brother. I don't know much about his life, but... This idea that that would be taught by Hollywood, that's the way they want it to be. And it is not, in fact, the way. Also, sound doctrine encourages all believers. When we read it, hey, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We look to heaven. We look up for our redemption draws near. We have a history and we have a future. And so we get encouraged by it. If you get downtrodden and pressed down and persecuted and just ridiculed and mocked at all of those things like Buzz was, we have a future hope. It's no big deal. It's water off a duck's back. (laughs) You just wait. God is going to be righteous and he's just and he will reward me according to his word, according to his will. And he will also repay those who have not acted according to his will and according to his word. So this idea of doctrine... We want to make sure we understand what doctrine is. There are doctrines like, for instance, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 talks about 
uh, certainly the Holy Spirit being God that Ananias and Sapphira lied to. I've already given you deity scriptures on Jesus Christ. And of course, we know the Father. He's God. Everybody calls the Father God. And so we have this doctrine of the Trinity. We have the doctrine of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these are non-negotiables. If somebody doesn't want to believe that, well, they're not really a believer. I was asked this question last week about the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, you, you can ask them the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior? Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior. They will tell you that. Do you believe that he was the Son of God? Yes, he was the Son of God. Do you believe that he performed miracles? Yes. Do you believe that he came down from heaven? Yes, they believe all these things. But they don't believe that he's God. They believe that he is Michael the Archangel. He is a different Jesus. He is a different Messiah. So that will not save anybody. We want to make sure that our beliefs comport with the beliefs, the teachings inside Scripture. What about eschatology and morality and discipleship? All of these things are important. And it's our job as believers to be disciples. Those people who don't seem to be disciples, that's where we are to examine ourselves to see if, in fact, we're in the faith. Because many claim to follow Jesus. But how many actually do follow Christ? Well, and by the way, I don't say that to bring a cloud of condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All I'm doing is saying, it's this way. This way to God. This way to Jesus. Just, just come on with me. Just Let's get on the road. Let's start walking towards him. And if you do, it's going to be hard. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be very difficult. You're going to be thirsty. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be tired. But it's all good. At the end, there's this city. And this city is wonderful. And there's going to be angels show up. And they're going to minister to you. And you're going to be so happy. You're not going to cry anymore. You're not going to mourn anymore. You're going to live forever. And if you want to go somewhere, you know, you're just, you're right there. It's just going to be a fantastic existence. But sometimes we get in this mode, well, I don't want to. I got things to do. Well, what do you got to do? I got to clip my nails. What, what do you mean you got to clip your nails? Oh, I got to comb my hair. I got to, I got to clean the garage. I got to wax the car. All of these other things we think we want to do that are meaningless. This world is passing away. And if we can just get on board with the Lord, I don't want to call it the peace train. That was Cat Stevens. But this idea that we're, we're heading towards heaven, we get excited about going to heaven, and we have this hope of this life with God being in his presence. And so this idea of doctrine, we want to make sure we're solid in doctrine, and we avoid myths. We avoid the old wives' tales which are out there. I mean, there are so many things that we can get involved in. Uh, the King James talks about this. Uh, and I've, I've brought this up in the men's study before. It's where we avoid stupid and foolish arguments. There's so many things that we can point to that we think are important. And they're just fables. There's things made up by men and women. I mean, if you listen to the radio enough and it has nothing to do with spirituality, the chemtrails, the contrails, the jet stream is going to dip down and it's going to wreak havoc. And there are creatures from outer space, aliens, that they could abduct us and this is so important. No, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter a hill of beans. What if there are aliens? So what? What if there is a UFO? You know, there's one in scripture. Elijah, how do you get taken up? A chariot of fire. This vehicle came down back then when there were no air vehicles, 
came down, picked him up, and took him away. So there's a UFO in Scripture. Wonderful. A UFO in Scripture. Great. Has nothing to do with little green men or big teardrop eyes or any of that stuff or grays or whatever. Foolish and stupid arguments. Now, it's fun to just learn about those things. So when the questions come up, you can say, ah, you need to avoid this foolish and stupid argument. Endless genealogies, things that you ought to do that, hey, Scripture doesn't talk about. That's the life filled with joy, following the doctrine that the Lord sets down, being a disciple, although it's hard, it's still rewarding beyond anything you can imagine. The parent who parents their children well, when they get older, I I owe it all to my wife. She's been such a great mother with our kids. I am so blessed by our kids. I mean, it's just wonderful. Do I always want more? Yes, I always want more. But I look at them and I go, I, am, I was thinking about this on Mother's Day. They're all over there. They're running around. And I just sat back and go, this is great. And grandkids going back and forth. And we sat at the table, all of us. And we were just talking. We're talking about babies because we're expecting another grandchild, which is going to be great coming along. But, you know, it's just, it's wonderful to do that all because my wife tried to follow the ways of the Lord and she told me, you need to get in line, buddy. And I said, okay, I'll get in line and, and things will turn out well. So my encouragement to you this morning is follow the Lord and follow him with your, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't get involved in foolish and stupid arguments. And whatever you do with your right hand, do with all your might. Don't do it just halfway. If you're going to nail a, a eight penny nail into a, a piece of wood, you don't go, okay, let me get this thing going here. And your little four ounce hammer, get a 23 ouncer and just bang that thing right in in one hit. That's what you want to do as a believer. Just get on the road with Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will fill you full of wisdom and the desire to do that and to forsake the things of the world. And Lord willing, that will happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how we understand that a wicked and adulterous generation looks after a sign and how we're to focus on what is right, good, just, and fair according to the sound doctrine that you give us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless your word in our hearing, that we would make it our own, that you would have us be on fire for the things of your kingdom and for people that you love so much that you sent your son to die for. May we have your heart in these matters. In Jesus' name, and the church said...